Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. I'm so glad you're here. I sure hope that you really came today to get fed God's Word and not be entertained, because that is not why we come to church to be entertained. We come to church to hear God's Word and to get fed if we're His sheep. And if you're not His sheep, then you need to recognize that and what God says to you, and you need to find out how to be a God's sheep and then turn to God so you can be one of his sheep. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would please join me, and because uh, we certainly need God to help us as I pray before every service. God, help me please to do this. We need to ask God to help us to understand his word today and to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for loving humanity, Lord God. As I was just thanking you this morning, even my, during my devotion time, Lord God, just for just thanking you for loving me, Lord, for the wicked man that I was, Lord God. And even though I, I, I'm not that wicked same man that I was then, Lord, I still do commit some sin sometimes. And Lord, I... Lord, I just don't understand how you, you as a perfect God could love such, a, such wicked people. Just wicked people, Lord. Just, I don't understand. Now, this love blows my mind. And I just, just pray, Lord God. I just thank you, Lord God, that you love us. Thank you, Lord God, that you gave your sacrifice of your only begotten Son to us, Lord God, so that whoever, Lord God, should believe and, and really turn to him, not just believe in their head, but turn to him, Lord God, and and, and surrender to him, Lord God, shall, shall have everlasting life, Lord God, and not perish. Thank you so much, Lord God. Please help us to understand your word today. And as I said just before I started praying, Lord God, help us to not only understand your word, but help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. God, this is so important, Lord God. This is so important, Lord God. Please help us. And I ask these things and I pray these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, we're going to be in verses 26 through 31 today. Again, that's Acts chapter 9, 26 through 31. But I'm not going to read them or teach them until I talk about my last week's message, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Last week, we examined an interaction between Saul and the Jews of Damascus, in which he spent days with them, unbelievers in Jesus as the Christ, as he was telling them of Jesus and proving to them that Jesus was indeed God's holy servant, God's Messiah, the one that was foretold thousands of years before Christ even came. And he did it, of course, by sharing the prophetic scriptures of the Tanakh or Christian Old Testament, same as also, uh, they're both the same, right? And also what they also knew of Jesus Christ and his life right? His life, his death, his resurrection, what happened to him during the things of his life, how he grew up, how he lived the sinful life, and the miracles that he did. And this, of course, rocked their worlds, right? It, it just shook them up. They, they, they just didn't, they believed one thing about Jesus, and Saul was like, no, and here's why, and he gave them irrefutable proof right, and, and justifiable belief that things that they could actually stand on not things that would make them sink like their own beliefs, but things that they could stand on, right, and to show them that Jesus was indeed the Christ. And on this topic of how they responded when they were 
faced with these truths of Jesus being God's Christ, right? And how they responded to them, uh, how they rejected those things. Remember how they, how they not only rejected them, but they got so angry that Paul proved Jesus as the Christ to them. They what? They did what? They wanted to kill him, right? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder him. Well, I would like you to also ask all of you that are listening to me today, who have also been faced with the same truths of Jesus, even the provable truths that I talked about last week, how have you responded in your past, and how are you responding even today to those things currently? Because if you're listening to me, God's already reached out to you, uh, and really even before me, sometime in your life, and he shared these truths of Jesus Christ with you. For it is my belief, because of what the Bible says, not just because I believe it, that God and Jesus Christ are reaching out to every single person on the world, and he's drawing all people to himself. As Jesus Christ said, if he was raised up, which he was raised up, then he's drawing all peoples to himself. So how have you in the past, and how are you currently responding to, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and him being the Christ, him being the Messiah? If you're still in doubt, so you're not sure who he is, would you seek Jesus in his word? Studying out the proofs of him, just Google it, or just listen to last week's sermon if you're in doubt. And here's some of the things that I talked about. And will you start asking him to reveal himself to you in a special way? God, Jesus, please, would you show me about your son or about Jesus Christ? Would you show me who you really are? And so that, so that Lord, you can bring me to a saving relationship with you, Lord. I, I really want to know who you are. That could be just one thing you could ask him. Uh, if he's done a mighty work in your life already to show and reveal himself to you, won't you please come to repentance to life today? This is what he's waiting for. If he's already revealed himself to you and you already know who he is, turn to him. Turn your life over to him today in repentance. Turn your heart over to him today in repentance. Lay down your life to him, letting him have control of your life, taking yourself off the throne and putting him on the throne. If you have responded the way God says in his word already, and you have done that already, are you still walking with him in humility? Is he still your first love? Are you still totally trusting in him and putting your life in his hands? And are you still devoted to him and being busy about the things he's commanded of you to do? And are you growing in all of these ways or maintaining in all of these ways daily? Jesus Christ wants to be, and, and, and he desires to be. He's not going to force you, but he wants to be. Listen to this guy. This is a line that God gave me for this overview. I just, it, it, it's really just impacted me. It really has. I've even prayed this this week. Jesus Christ wants to be the most important person in your life. And he wants to be the biggest priority of your whole life. Because guess what? Here's, here's Here's the most awesome thing. You're his. You and you and you and you out there are all his most important person and biggest priority in his eyes. Either bringing you to him or helping you maintain in him or helping you still on the path or helping you in your life. 
You are God's biggest priority. Wow. That just just should just... Wow. Really? He runs the whole universe? And people, humanity, are his biggest priority? That's just humbling. That should humble you. He gave up everything for us just so that we could know him. Wow. Please, daily. I don't know where you are. God knows where you are, but daily seek him. Daily commune with him. I don't care. If you, even if you don't believe in him or you refuse to believe in him or, or you're in doubt of him, whatever. Daily com- God, who are you? Really, earnestly, just start asking God, God, who are you? Would you reveal yourself to me? I, I'm just having trouble believing. Or I just don't know. Or Is Allah the one? Or is, 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 is Buddha the one? Or, or I don't know, Lord. Who, who's the one? Would you reveal yourself to me, please? And if you believe already, God, help me to believe more. You know when we pray sometimes, if we're really believers, and we're praying, but our heart's going, there's no way this impossible. That's not going to happen. And then like that one guy, God, help, help me, help my unbelief, help me to believe. And we could pray that, God, please help me. I want to believe. I've prayed that before. God, help me to believe. I want to believe more. Because in him, the Bible says, is yes and amen. Not, eh, you know, in him is yes and amen. And if you're his, would you daily trust in him, daily follow him, daily obey him, seek him in these ways, and daily follow his word. For it is, as David wrote, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. All right, let's get on to our new message for today, shall we? Message title. I love our message title. I just got it last night. Let go and give it to God. Let go and give it to God. Acts 9, 26 through 31. Will you read them with me, please? Or you can listen along. It's your choice. Acts 9, 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Notice that's different than the disciples earlier. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming out and going in. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Wow, same thing. But but the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So last week, Saul was faced with a life and death situation, remember, for he had learned that the Jews became angry with him for proving that Jesus was the Christ to them. And and they plotted, right, or looked for an opportunity to kill him. His decisions were, A, stay and keep preaching and lose his life, or B, leave and shake the dust off his feet because they had rejected the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He chooses the latter because I'm sure he took counsel from the Christians in Damascus and they counseled them with the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 10 because they were his mentors, right? And and we see that they helped him escape the doom that awaited him, right? 
They go to a house in the city wall, how they deliver them. I love this. I love this section. We don't read about this, this little added, but they had to go to a city on the wall because it was a window that was on the city wall that they could let them down through, right? They go to a city on the wall. Verse 25 tells us that under the cover of night, they put him in a basket, let him down by a rope because the Jews were waiting for him at the city gates to arrest him and kill him as soon as they saw him. I just can't wait to meet Saul, Paul, and find out how exciting this situation must have been. I mean, just think about this. We read these words over, right? They let him down in a basket by a rope. Come on. Have you ever done that? (laughs) I've never done that. I've never escaped death by people leading me down in a basket. I mean, how big was the basket? Was it just enough for his feet? Was it for his whole body? I mean, I just can't wait to find out all the details when I meet Saul and how exciting and, you know, kind of maybe scary the situation was. But I just, to me, it was like, wow. I started thinking about that going, holy camoly, that's got to be an awesome situation. Today, we read that the excitement wears off and we get to see where he goes after his wild and daring escape. Let's look at what course of action God causes Saul to take after this. Look at verse 26 again. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, He tried to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So after what happened to him, he could have really left the Christian faith forever. I mean, he's a brand new baby in Christ, preaching Jesus. This guy saved my soul. This guy, this guy is the Christ, and he did all this. And here's my testimony. Oh, kill him. Kill him, kill him, kill him. I don't want, hey, I'm done. This is it. I'm done. I didn't sign up for this. But he doesn't. He doesn't leave. In fact, he, he shakes off the evil experiences to get right back on the horse, and he keeps on going. What does he do? He doesn't even skip a beat. He goes to Jerusalem to be part of the believers there. But sadly, as if he hadn't been through enough already, verse 26 tells us that he faces rejection from his own new kind. Because they were what? afraid of him because they didn't think that he was a real convert. They thought he was—he just wanted to get into their group and turn on them and betray them from the inside like Judas did to Jesus Christ. But boy, were they wrong. They were still of the opinion of him that he was the evil religious leader who had taken part in Stephen's murder right before the terrible persecution arose in Jerusalem that caused them all, remember, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and 8, that the, all the disciples, except for the apostles, left Jerusalem, right? I find it interesting here when we open up our situation here. I find it interesting, number one, that there are now disciples back in Jerusalem, right? After they all left Acts 8.1 from the persecution that Saul had originally started. I see one thing in this. Just like I see one thing in God here at Gospel Saving Church and God's true work all over the world, God is faithful to keep his work going on. And the apostles would have really had a problem if all the disciples would have stayed away really having a church, right? Just just the 12 of them. I mean, they were called to go to the whole world, and how can they do that? They're one place, right? So God is faithful to keep his work going on. Number two, I see this too. The disciples that are come back are afraid of Saul. So afraid of him that they won't even let him come into their group. They had to know when they came back, persecution was possible. I mean, blows my mind. I mean, they they left because of persecution. When they came back, they had to know persecution was possible. I I can just see them now. We open up here in 26. I can see them now in a room, new disciple knocking, hey, wanting to come in. And then, no, 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 keeping the door locked. Go away. No, you can't come in. 
Go away. No, we're afraid. And I find this funny because of the fact that Christ said to his spiritual children that they should not live in fear because they were not letting him in because of fear. Jesus, Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, what does he say? Fear him, him who? God, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell, right? And Jesus Christ promised persecution in Matthew chapter 24. Fear God, right? If, if they were totally trusting in Christ as the great I am he said he was, and they were ready for the persecution Jesus promised, then they would have just let Saul come into them even if he was trying to get into their group to betray him, just like Jesus Christ did, or just like Judas did to Jesus Christ. Uh, think of this. Here's, here's the, we're going we're gonna to delve off here. We're going to really delve off. And we're going to, this is blew my mind when God was showing me that this week. But think of this. Jesus Christ allowed Judas to be part of his group. And he knew ahead of time that Judas was his betrayer. He knew it ahead of time, right? And he still let him in. And not only did he let him into his group, think of it, the group of his original, his closest personal 12, the very night of his betrayal when Jesus, Judas brought the Roman guards to arrest him, Jesus Christ washed all their feet, including Judas, right after he ate the last supper with him, John 13, 1 through 17. Can you think of that? He knew he was, he was his betrayer, and yet he still loved him and washed his feet? And he still ate with them? Think of when somebody's betrayed you, and they've been a close friend. The last thing you wanted to do was even see them. Yet Jesus Christ washes his feet and then eats with him. Now think again of this situation that the returned disciples of Damascus uh, faced with Saul here again now, right? I'm sorry, think again of the situation with the disciples that had returned to Jerusalem, right, with the situation. Now, if God was going to allow them to be arrested and murdered by Saul, would them not opening the door to him so that he couldn't come in really stop that? If God was going to allow that to happen, would them not letting him in stopped Saul's arrest and murder of them? Eh, sorry, I'm just telling you right now, if God would have allowed it, right, then it would have happened some other way. If Saul would have really known that they were there, no, no, go away. All he had to do was go to the Roman guards he already had authority from the chief priests, from the, from the right, from the main man of Judaism to go and arrest and drag Christians back. You know, if his conversion was fake, he could have brought the garrison, the same one that arrested Jesus, to arrest the disciples there. Them not letting him in didn't stop it. They could have got, he could have gotten in anyway. But because of fear... They didn't let him in. Really, if Saul was a betrayer and had intentions to trick them and get in to arrest them and kill them, wasn't this what they did? A futile attempt? Really, if God was going to allow it, it was going to happen. Uh, Christians, you that are listening to me today, trust in God in Christ totally with everything. The Bible says of your life and mine, if you truly love him and abide with him and obey him, right? Romans 8.28. 
And we know, think about it, this, this verse is going to be key throughout the whole message. And, and we know that all things, well, what's all things? What's all things? Well, well not that one thing. Well, all things. All right, let's just keep that in mind. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But, but Lord, what about that guy that betrayed me the other day at work and he just said those bad things about me and it got me in trouble and they weren't true? You made that happen? I allowed it, God said. But what about, what about this? What about this? I lost my job and I was being a good steward and the company had layoffs. Well, Lord, is that you? Well, you're mine, son. And yes, I allowed it. Think of those things. Mind-blowing. All things work together for good to those who love God and those called according to His purpose. What that scripture means is this. As a true believer, surrender to Him, walking with Christ by faith, with the desire to be in God's will as true spiritual children should be, God is in control of your life. Totally. In control of your life. Absolutely, 100%. Which means that nobody can do anything that he doesn't allow, and nothing can even happen to you or me in all of our whole lives. Nothing. Unless he allows it. And if he allows something to happen to you, or someone to do something evil to you that you may think is evil to you, or maybe it really was evil to you, even to the point that you are persecuted to death, or maybe it's your time to die and, you know, you, you just die and then you're worried about death and your family's, oh no, he died too young, right? If you're his, right? Don't you want to be in his will? For don't you truly love him and don't you totally trust him? And don't you totally take him at his word? Amen. Right? His word says all things work to good together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All th that means I love you. And anything I allow ha to happen to you, my child, is going to happen to you for good. What, well, but Lord, but let's see, but up. Uh, I allowed it. I allowed it. And, and for this same person, nothing can even happen to you in your whole life that he's not in control of. <laughs> Whether we think it's good or bad, he's in control of it. And he means it for good. It's all for good for us. No matter how we perceive it, it's all meant for good for us. Which means that he's, again, he's in control of everything we go through. And, and I've even had this discussion. Well, what about, does that mean then God is completely sovereign? I mean, we can't even eat, a, eat, eat something we're not supposed to? Or, or that means we can't go somewhere we're not supposed to? No, that doesn't mean that. For yes, although God is sovereign, he also gives us our free will. And let's just put it like this, what God is showing me in this. Let's say we do do something stupid as his child, right? Because we do some, some things that are stupid. We saw Jesus' disciples do things that were stupid, right? But what did he do? Long as we want to be in his will, we love him and we're his, he'll use what even our, stup even our stupid thing that we did. Just like a loving father will use something that their own son or daughter does as something good to teach them a lesson, God will allow that stupid thing we did to teach us a lesson, and then he'll 
redirect us and get us back on the right course of where we're supposed to be if we're really his, if we really love him. That's just like God is like a loving heavenly father, like a loving earthly father, but he's got a perfect love. His love isn't flawed like mine for my children. Even though I love my children with a dying love, I still make mistakes as a father. He does not make mistakes as a father, for he is perfect. (laughs) And all things, he said, work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? So, child of God, born-again believer, you who are abiding in Christ, as his disciples here in Jerusalem were not in Acts 9, right? they were not. I'm sorry, they were not totally trusting God here with the situation with Saul. Don't worry, guys and girls. Don't worry. Really, worry is ridiculous. It really is. Worry is a slap in God's face. And because of all of what I just said, I think that these disciples should not have refused Saul to come into them because they were afraid. The Bible says that a child of God should never be led by fear. We should be led by love and led by faith. And these guys were led by fear, right? And they should have let him in, whether he was a betrayer or not. And whatever God allowed to happen to them, God was in control. They were his, right? For again, nothing could have happened to them or even us today outside of his divine control if we are his. And if God allowed them, let's just, let's just take it to the nth degree. I like to do that. I like to take things to the nth degree, right? We can't always be safe. Ah, fooey on safe, right? If God allowed them to be, tra- be betrayed by Saul, let's say that Saul was a betrayer, right? And he was a false convert and he got in, right? Then they could have been, think of the glory in this, then they could have been betrayed, arrested, and maybe even murdered. And they could have accepted it all. And they could have witnessed to Saul and say, hey, we'll give our lives to be burned because we love you. And then think of what that is, I'll tell you. There's no greater witness to a lost person than a Christian that's willing to lay down their life for, the, for, for Jesus Christ. There's no greater witness. And, and I'll tell you, the, the old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There's probably never been any greater event or, or, or thing that's happened to Christians than, than them allowing themselves to be martyred for Christ that's brought revival, that's brought seeds of faith, seeds of, of salvation, seeds of, of oh, millions and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands getting saved. Because when the ultimate sacrifice is given, the ultimate show of love is also given. And when the world sees that, they can't compute, they can't understand. What? This guy, this girl loved their Lord so much that they died for them? We don't even understand. We don't understand that kind of love. Which then points them to the same love that Jesus gave for his kids. The love that he gave, that he laid down his life for all that would come and believe in him. Wow. But to me, so in the category of being loving towards Saul by these guys, by these failed disciples in here in Jerusalem in Acts 9, and they're trusting in Christ, they really dropped the ball. They dropped the ball big time. But it's easy, right? And I'm sure I'll get an amen out there somewhere, but it's easy to trust God and love others when there's nothing at stake. Right? It's easy to be a soldier in peacetime, right? Oh, there's no guns blazing, no lives on the line. Man, I'm brave. I'm a brave soldier, right? But it's not easy when, when you're under the gun, and they drop the ball. 
right? If we really love Christ and we really trust Christ, then we need to reject fear and we need to love all peoples, no matter how easy or hard they are to love. And we need to follow the words of Jesus Christ as the disciples in Acts 9 did not. We need to follow the words of Christ, Matthew 5, 46 to 48. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? So the opposite's true, right? If you do love those who don't love you, you'll have great reward. For that's God's will, right? He says, goes on to say, do not even tax collectors do the same? For if you, and do we want to be like, tax collectors now in the scriptures was a bad negative connotation. They were the people working for the Roman government. They were not Christians. They were you know, people that were for the Roman government. And the Roman government was against God because Caesar, and their, that was their God. They didn't believe in Jehovah or Jesus Christ as God, right? So when Jesus says, do not even the tax collectors do the same, he's slamming, right? Do you want to only love those who love you back? Oh, hey, even the tax collectors do the same. That's like a forearm to the face forearm. Hey, love those who love you back. Oh, you're like the, you're like the heathen. You're like those who don't even believe in Jehovah. You tax collector 47. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Right? So he's saying, greet even the lost. Don't just greet those, you know, right? Do not even tax collectors again, forearm, do the same, right? 48. Therefore, in a sense, we'll wrap it up. If you do these things, love those who aren't easy to love, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that word there means complete. You'll be mature, which is what God wants of you. And the only way we can be perfect or complete in God is if we become perfect in Christ by his sacrifice. And we can only do that if we totally trust him with all of ourselves and obey his word. Really, that's what it comes down to. Most of the time, I would tell you that you should imitate the disciples of the Lord and the word of God. But this time, Christians, don't be like the disciples here in Acts chapter 9. Love and trust Christ and love others and don't live in fear. God's got it. God's got it. Let go and give it to God. That's the title. That's why I title it. That's why the title of the sermon just came to me last night because I just God just opened up my eyes. Hey, that's what it's all about. Being a Christian is letting go and giving it all to God. And not worrying, oh, what about this? Oh, but what about it then? Oh, but what? Wow, right? What happens after these disciples drop the ball with Saul, right? And what happens when they don't teach the new convert, Saul, Paul, the right way to act? Because really, if you're an elder in the Lord, if you've been a disciple for a while, if, you, if you're if you a man or a woman of God and you've been that way for a while, really for those new or those younger, really you're kind of training them. And so however you act... If you are led by fear, well, they're going to think it's okay to be led by fear. I know whatever the word says, they're going to really see your example. And so here, after these guys drop the ball, they really show Saul, Paul, what it's really like to be a Christian, which is wrong. That's not the way it means to be a Christian, right? What happens when they drop the ball? Thanks be to God for an awesome man of God, a totally trusting and totally loving disciple named Barnabas who stands up and he does what the disciples would not do. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Notice Barnabas Barnabas wasn't scared. He was right up. He might might have even actually been among them and was like, no, no, no. He he leaves. I don't know. I'm just saying he might have been. 
and he goes out to them because majority rules a lot of times, right? If there's, if there's 30 or 40 disciples in there, one guy's not going to be like, oh, we're doing this, and then he's going to win, right? 30 or 40 are going to win. And I'm just saying he could have been among them. But Barnabas takes him, brings him to the apostles, and he declares to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You see, the disciple Barnabas boldly takes Saul from the coward disciples that are hiding someplace in a room and takes him to the 12 apostles, making the disciples, as I mentioned earlier when we were reading this, not the same. I always read this when I read it over this section of Scripture. I always thought this was the disciples and it was just a, no, as I read in Scripture, disciples are different than apostles. Apostles are always called apostles. Disciples are always called disciples. That's just, they don't make, there's no, there's a distinction between the two. So the disciples earlier were not the 12 now. So he takes them to the 12 apostles. And when he does, he tells them of some of Saul's testimony and how he had been serving Jesus Christ since his conversion. Even though, get this, even though, get this, I believe Barnabas did this by faith. How, you say? Was Barnabas in Damascus to see all this? <laughs> I don't think so. I, in, in fact, I, Barnabas, was, it says he was in Jerusalem. What would have made him come from Damascus? I believe he even brought this, these things to the disciples of the apostles because he did this by faith. He heard Saul. He believed Saul. He trusted God because he knew, hey, nothing can happen to me unless God allows it to. So, hey, if he's lying, hey, it's on his head. I'm going to believe what he said. And, and he takes him to the apostles and he says, here, this is what this guy's done. We got to love him. Right? He, he's loving and trusting towards God, Barnabas is. And he says, apostles, guys, this man's real. Hey, let's, let's bring him in. Let's train him up. This is a powerful man for Christ. You see, Barnabas, though, was totally committed to Christ. And he, again, truly knew, and so he lived what he believed. This is important. So many times we believe things. But when the rubber hits the road, we don't live what we believe because of what? Because of fear, right? Because of fear. But he was totally committed to Christ, right? He knew that nothing could happen to him unless God allowed it. So he gave himself to total trust and total faith in God and Jesus Christ. What did he do? He let go and he gave it to God. He let everything go. And he gave it to God. Do the apostles accept Saul and decide to love him and trust God Almighty totally? Look at verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. The apostles take, the apostles take Barnabas' word and, and recommendation of the type of person Saul had become because of Christ and choose not to be afraid of Saul like the disciples were, accepting him for the new creation he had become. And they trust God and they move forward and even, guess what? They don't just decide to trust God with their words. They actually have action to their words because they allow him to serve in God's church in Jerusalem. Now, they had just met him. Now, normally in churches nowadays, which is a good thing, and I actually respect this, if you come and you're new to the church, it takes a while for them to get to know you, and they make you sit through services for some time, and then after a while, then, oh, all right, we'll let you kind of go out there and kind of maybe lead a ministry or serve in a ministry, you know, but you're going we need to know you there. We need to know that you're not a wolf in sheep's clothing, but not the apostles here. They take the word of Barnabas, who was obviously a trusted disciple, 
And they said, no, right, go ahead, because they let him serve in the name of the God of heaven in the church there. This is so important. Look at what he was doing while he was with the apostles. Look at verse 29. He didn't stop. He didn't skip a beat. He kept going. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Number one, he continues evangelizing people, preaching Jesus as the Christ, but he, allowed, but he is allowed to do so as part of God's church in Jerusalem. Saul does not skip a beat. He preaches Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, same as he did in Damascus. Saul is a machine. <laughs> Saul is like a well-oiled machine. And notice there's an and there. We can't leave that out because that means there's something else, right? There's an and there to that verse. That means that there's something else that he did while in Jerusalem. And number two, the end, he disputes with the Hellenists in Jerusalem. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, right? And there were some who were of Christ in the church back in Acts 6 because we know that, remember, they complained because their widows weren't properly getting their food every day. You know, the disciples were feeding the people of God and they were feeding the church. And remember, the Hellenists were like, hey, our widows are being neglected. And so these would have been Christians back then, right? But it seems here as if either the whole group had fallen away from the Lord Jesus, or there were more Hellenists in Jerusalem, that's kind of where I ride lean, who didn't believe in Jesus as the Christ. But either way, Saul finds disagreement with them and disputes with them. We don't actually know what they disputed about, but my guess would be that he and the Hellenists didn't agree of their opinion of who Jesus Christ really was. That would be my opinion. They might have believed in Jehovah and the Mosaic Covenant, or they might have even believed in the Greek pantheon of gods. And my guess is that their opinion of, of Jesus was that he was not the Christ. Just my guess. As Saul boldly preached Jesus, this is I'm just I'm just seeing this and you know, like thinking of the situation, right? Because why else would they why else would they dispute with him to the point that they wanted to kill him? right? I'm seeing this. As Saul boldly preached Jesus as the Christ in Jerusalem, they heard him, they disagreed with what he said, and they fought against him. Did Saul win their debates? End of verse 29 says it all, but they attempted to kill him. Sounds like the same thing that happened to him in Damascus. Same thing, same thing, same thing in Jerusalem, same thing in Damascus. He was probably proving Jesus Christ as the Christ to them from the Holy Jewish Bible, the scriptures, and again, from the life they knew that Jesus Christ lived. And they really would have known the life that Jesus Christ lived because guess what? They actually lived in Jerusalem where Jesus did a bunch of miracles. He walked, he did things, right? And they were angry for having their beliefs of who Jesus was smashed. Now, this actually happened to me last week in church. Uh, we had a visitor in our church congregation last week, and he did not believe in some of the things that I talked about. And so just like these people here, a brother pointed it out actually last week in the church hall, we had this guy come, and he kind of disputed with me about some of the things I talked about. And I, just like Saul, proved to him that there, you know, the things that he was saying were wrong, and his spin on the Bible was a personal spin, only meant to, for his own personal gain or for his own personal way, which was not the way of Jesus Christ. And the end result, it was kind of shocking to me because I had just preached on it. If you listen to last week's sermon, you'll see again now the Jews of Damascus wanted to kill Saul for proving that Jesus was the Christ to them. I almost felt like this man would have actually wanted to kill me because, again, I kind of proved him with with justified beliefs, not because, oh, I think so, but from justifiable beliefs, I felt like this man was actually wanting to kill me. Same with Saul uh, in Damascus and Jerusalem. I kind of feel special in a sense because, you know, wow, 
God, I actually had the same thing happen to me that your great apostle Saul Paul had happened to him, right? Wow. I, I, I can just say this. People don't like it when you tell them and then prove to them that their beliefs are wrong. That's, I'll just end it with that. Moving on. Do the apostles, disciples in Jerusalem show and prove to Saul that they love him? After these evil-hearted Hellenists think about killing him, look at verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him to Tarsus. They help him get out of Dodge, same as the disciples did in Damascus with Saul. God really loves it when we put to practice and we trust him and we love others like the Apostle John said in 1 John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then there again, they let him in, which shows, hey, we're going to love you. We're not going to scorn you. We're going to love you. Oh, they're trying to kill you? All right. Well, we're not going to fight back. As this famous Christian patriot movement we got going on right now talks about, we're going to get them, we're going to kick them, we're going to punch them, we're going to... No, they leave, they retreat, as we never see any Christian in the Bible fighting back for what they believe with their fists and with their feet and with their, you know, we see them debating. And then when they lose, they either go away or they stay and God protects them. But here we see here, they love him and they show him the way, they get him out of Dodge. Uh, but as far as Saul's concerned and what he had managed to do in two different cities at this point in history of his preaching, I feel a strong desire. I don't know if you feel the same towards Saul, but I have a strong desire to actually nickname him. I'm going to nickname him. I, I don't really think that they should have called him Paul later on. I, I don't think that should have been his new name. I think his new nickname should have been The Hammer. The Hammer. Why? Saul wasn't afraid to get down deep into real spiritual truths with others. The real hard spiritual truths that people don't really want to hear. And because, and because he did, uh, God's actually showed me in the past for myself, I was like a jackhammer because I'd go to Americans in, in, in America where everybody here in America thinks that they're a Christian, right? You got to understand, I don't know if you've ever witnessed in America, but everybody, not eight, eight to nine to nine and a half people out of 10 believe themselves to be Christians. And so, well, when you preach to them and, you know, you kind of like, well, hey, here's what the scripture says and here's what you're like, well, here's what the scripture, they don't like that. And so the way to do that, these people are hard. They've been growing up in church all the time. And so God, I, I kind of got the image that I was kind of like a jackhammer on the hard concrete soil of people's hearts. And I feel really the same as Saul. For he, again, got down into deep, real spiritual truths for others. And I know for sure that Saul wasn't trying to make these people angry so that they wanted to kill him because someone only gets into these conver conversations with others if they really love them. Really, that's the truth. And really, if they're concerned about their eternity. Because when you know, when you know somebody that you're going to say something to somebody that's going to contradict what they believe and you know that they have proof for it, you, know, you just know that they're going to act in an angry way. They're, oh, no, that's not that. I believe this. You know. Oh, oh. Right? But because you love people and because you're concerned for their eternity, you actually get into these conversations. But if we love others and we truly care about them and their eternities, we must get into these tough conversations about Jesus Christ and who he is with them. And if we don't and we refuse, are we really loving them like Jesus Christ loved them? Are we really loving them like Saul loved them? And if we're afraid, oh, 
that word again to do so because we already know how they're going to act. And are we really trusting in Christ? Are we really letting go? Are we really giving it to God, right? Trusting in Christ like he told us that we must, for he doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to let everything go. All fear, all anxiety, all everything, 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 everything. Look at our last verse for today, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, this verse would seem to follow exactly what we just read about how, you know, Saul did this and Saul did that. But if so, I don't know. Maybe God was just saying, hey, I'm giving the church era a new era. You know, I'm going to let them have peace for a little while. We don't know. But I kind of think it's more along like this. It seems to me that this verse of this section seems to be saying that because Saul had done such a good job of proving Jesus as the Christ to those in the areas that he went, the churches had peace and were edified. Not quite sure again, though. And maybe this is because Saul had gone away, right? And when we know when the actual catalyst goes away, there's time to actually like cool down and think, right? That's the best thing you could do. If you get into a conversation with somebody and tempers flare, it's best to say, hey, you know, let's, let's, let's talk again. Because really when you're faced up with somebody and your angers are flaring, a lot of times, especially with guys, when your angers flare, we say things that we don't mean to. I'm sure ladies are the same way. So maybe because their anger had abated because the catalyst went away, uh, some of them knew they were wrong and their consciences got the better of them. So they backed off and, and kind of went coward like, oh, wow, well, he was right. Well, I can't admit that. And then they kind of went away. Or maybe some decided to turn to Christ. I, well, in fact, I know some decided to turn to Christ because we see there in that verse that the church was multiplied. Well, the church is not multiplied unless people are added to the church, and people that means that people are getting saved, right? But again, just my thoughts and just my guess there. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked as far as what pretty much the whole entire sermon was about today. I don't want to lose sight of the main things we talked about in this message because they're, they're so vital for a healthy relationship with God and Christ and our walks with Him. Number one, the first thing we, I really drove home, and I'm going to drive it home again now. Number one, not living in fear, but trusting in Christ, as the disciples we met today were not doing, right? For they were not literally uh, scared to death, of, or for they were literally scared to death of Saul, whom they thought was a wolf in sheep's clothing, but was not, but because of fear, remember, they would not let him in because of fear. Uh, listen, to my true and earnest followers of Christ that are listening to me today, again, this is not an example that we should follow in how we live out our lives striving to follow Jesus Christ. God God gave me this new saying this week in some ministry that I was uh, working with with another. Here's the saying, and I really hope you guys write it down because this is so powerful. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you're either living in the stress or you're living in his rest. Think about it. You're either living in the stress, you're letting the things of the world weigh you down and you're all stressed out, right? Or you're living in his rest. If you're, no matter what happens to you, with the knowledge, hey, God's in control of my life, hey, God's got my back, he's not going to let anything happen to me that's not for good, 
with, with the idea of let it go and give it to God, the whole title of the sermon, right? We, if we're living in his stress, there's no, or, or the stress, the stresses of life and the stresses of our problems, there's no way we can live in his rest. But if we take God at his word, right, and we believe God and what he said, right, we're going to let it go and we're going to give it to God and we're going to live in his rest. And that's what it really boils down to. We're either going to take him at his word or we're going to call him a liar. Well, God, you're not going to allow everything that happens to me for good. And Lord, you're not in control of everything I go through in my life. Because, Lord, you just you don't understand all the things that I'm going through. And, and all these things that have happened to me, Lord, you, you just don't understand. Again, eh, I'm sorry. God is not a liar. God is telling the truth. He is honest. If you are a true worshiper of God through Jesus Christ only, in spirit and truth, the core of your walk with Christ comes down to you either believe God and take him at his word or you don't. Really? I mean, I, I need a reminder of this too, guys, because I'll tell you sometimes I, we forget these things. And I know we've heard this before. Maybe you've never heard it this way before, but I know we've heard things like this before if you've gone to church more than just a half a dozen or a dozen times. But just, just to wake up. I don't know who's listening, who's out there, who's, what people's hearts are doing with them right now, but you're either taking God at His word and you're letting everything go and you're giving everything to God because all, you know that he's in control of your life and everything that happens to you for good. Think of it, even when you blow it. <laughs> even when we blow it, he still makes it all work out for good. I've seen it in my own life. Just trust God, Christians, those walking with the Lord truly, and let it go and give it all to God. Wow. Wrap your head around that, and after you've done that for an hour or so, again, I challenge you, take God at his word and what he said in Matthew 5. Don't fear anything. Fear the one who has the power to cast your soul and your body into hell. Really, that's what it boils down to. Now, now, as far as the secondary idea of the message goes, Saul got into those difficult conversations with those who were lost and on their way to hell, and, and Christians... We must also do the same. I'm not only talking to you, I'm talking to myself on this. I know how many, I know how people are going to respond to me when I do the same thing as Saul did. I already know. And, and I'm going to be honest. I'm gonna call out my sin, it's sin. I'm afraid of it sometimes. I'm afraid of it. I'm, I, I hate it and I'm fearful that people are going to act toward me. It's not that I'm going to lose my life, but that they're going to reject me which is what Jesus said was going to happen anyway, but it's not pleasing to my flesh, right, to think those things and to want to get into those conversations, right? So I am afraid of those things. I'm, it's my sin. God, forgive me of my sin, but that's my sin. Uh, but we must work on not letting this happen because we're only supposed to fear him who has the power to cast us into hell and not man. So I must start now, of course, and be an example, right, so we can follow that you can imitate me in this way as I imitate Christ and as I imitate Saul, both in Damascus and Jerusalem, I'd like to ask you, if you believe yourself to be a true Christian today, what is your faith based on? 
This is that hard place to go. This is that hard place when you're on the streets, when you're with that coworker at work. And well, what is your faith based on? And I, here's another one. I'm, gonna, I'm asking you. You are listening. How do you know you're truly saved and going to spend eternity in heaven forever when you die? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven and stand before God and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. I had another conversation this week in ministry unto the Lord, and it was with a fellow at a restaurant. And I asked him where he went to church. This is kind of like how you kind of roll into it. I was faced with the situation this week. I'm going to give you an example. This is a real life example, something that really happened to me. So I asked him where he went to church. And he said, well, I don't. And, and, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and, and I, 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 I'm trying to get everything fixed up in my life, and I'm trying to do this, and, I'm just, and then after I have fixed all of this, that, and the other thing, then, you know, I am going to get back up. I'm going to get back into doing it. So I said, well, I, I said, sir, I, I see a, a little problem. You see, I summed up what, Matt, what Jesus said in Matthew 6. 31 through 33 with him. I said this, in a nutshell, but I'm going to read you the whole section of Scripture because you'll see how it applies. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousnesses, and all these things will shall be added unto you. And so I asked him, I said, sir, I said, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God first. And then everything else that you're worried about, I said, those things all kind of work out. I said, sir, you're doing things opposite of the way Jesus said. And he's like, huh. And he gave me a bunch of excuses of why he couldn't do the things Jesus Christ way. And, you know, how, well, you know, I know what Jesus said, but, you know, but, 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 I, in a nutshell, I kept him on target and I, I hit him with the next truth Jesus Christ told us, Luke 6, 46. But I can't do things Jesus' way, you see, because I, 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 I got to do it this way and that way and this way and that way. And I said, well, sir, I said, do you love Jesus? Well, of course. I said, well, sir, the Bible says, Luke 6, 46, I didn't quote it, but um, I quote, quote it now because I had more time to prepare but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And then I also quoted 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So now, here's the, here's the, the crux, right? Here's where the grind comes in. He says, I'm living my life my way. In my doing the things I want in my own direction, and I'm not do, following my life and living my life the way Jesus Christ said to live my life. And I said to him, I said, sir, why do you say you love Jesus, but you don't live your life the way he said that you should live your life? Well, of course, this struck a nerve. And of course, his head goes down because it's really simple. Here in a nutshell, for him, for you, for me, for everybody in the world, do you do you say you love Jesus? And do you live? Do you act? Do you talk? Do you walk the ways that Jesus Christ said to and put the things that Jesus Christ said to do in the order he said to put them into? Or do you do those things, all these things, and put the ways in which you live in your ways 
in the ways that you want to do them. But again, I love Jesus because if that's you and you don't live your life, and this is Bible now, okay, this is not Ed, I'm just reading you the Bible. If you don't live like Jesus Christ said, and you don't order the ways of your life after how he said you should, and you a live in fear, or a you know you just you're, you're handling things your way, and you know God's out of the picture till when I'm ready to bring him in, you know, and I'm ready to live his way, then how can you say you love him for again? Even he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things which I say? And you could say, and the ways I said to do them. It's pretty simple. And if this is you, if this is, you're sitting there, well, that, oh, you know, but, I, but, 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 hush. If this is you, then the bad news is 1 John 2, 3 and 4. John says this, again, simple. Simple, simple, simple stuff. This is not complicated doctrine. Now, by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And he who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments or His ways or the ways He said to do things, John says, is a liar. Not me. I'm not saying that. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You can go read it yourself. He said, even if you say you know Him and you love Him, if you don't do the things that he says and you don't live your life according to his ways, John says, you're a liar. And the truth, he finishes on to go on to say there, the truth is not in you. So the simple truth of your life is this. Who is your Lord? You or Jesus Christ? And if you say it's Jesus Christ, but you don't follow his teachings and do the things and the ways in which he, he says to and live the type of life that he says you should, you're not his. If you don't do the things his way, the Bible says you're not his. But you're deceived into thinking you are, which is really the worst kind. That's kind of the worst kind. You think you're good. You think you're doing the speed limit. Oh, right, I'm doing the speed. I'm doing 95. Yeah, I saw that somewhere. I'm doing 95. Then you get pulled over. And the cop goes, oh, sir, here, oh, did you know you were doing a 95 and a 70? No, 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 sir, I, I was doing 95. I, I'm sure I saw it. What's the cop going to say? Oh, uh, here's the warning. I know you were deceived. Here's the warning. <clears throat> Cop's going to give you about a ticket. Same thing. When you go to heaven with God, God's truths are right there. And I'm telling them to you right now, and it's just common sense. And anybody, everybody has the Bible. There's Google. There's more information now than there's ever been in the whole world ever up until now, ever. So you stand before God, oh, God, well, I never knew that I had to turn to Jesus and surrender to him and live his ways and make him my Lord. I thought I could just have this belief. You know, your word says just believe, and God's going to say, well, daughter, son, you, you know if you'd have read the word at all that you just can't have a head belief in him like you believe in the sun and the sky. That, that belief has to be more. So, so what's your excuse? Well, well I, I was sad. I had to do all this. I had to do all this. I had to fix. I, I, I. That's, God's going to say, that's your problem. You lived your life for I, for you. You didn't live your life for me. And that's what a Christian that's what somebody that's saved, that's what they do. If this is you, 
please repent. Seek Jesus Christ in his word and please turn to him now or back to him today. And truly give yourself to him wholly and fully and stop holding back. Repent. Give him your heart. Be saved. He's waiting for you. And I will tell you exactly what I told those who are abiding in Jesus Christ. Let go and give it to God. Everything. Start there today and then stay there for the rest of your lives. Stay there. For that is God's desire for you to be His. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the truth. God, we thank you so much, Lord God, for Lord, that we can trust in you. Oh, dear Jesus, as your children, we can trust in you. Lord, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in, in, in oh gosh, what's going to happen tomorrow? Oh no, what about this that happened to me? That, that, that that's happened to me, Lord. We can trust in you. <laughs> we can let everything go and we can trust in you. God, help us. Help us to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses and follow after you daily. God, Father God, please, we know your word says in Matthew 7 that the road is narrow <laughs> because the way of life is difficult and hard and there are few who find it. Lord, please, God, I pray that those listening to me would, would just see would stop looking at how hard the life of a Christian or the life of a follower of Christ is. Lord, and I pray that they would look to you, the author and perfecter of their faith. And they would just say, hey, you got it. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. God, you got everything. Please, God, help us to trust in you with every area of our lives and help us to remember that all things work together for those who, who love you for good, right? For good, Lord God, for good. And Lord God, for those that don't know you right now, Lord, those that just got a big awakening in their lives, Lord God, you mean you mean my life has to be done doing the things that Jesus says and the way he says them? And that's what a Christian is like? Yes, Lord. That's what it means to be truly saved. Lord, if we are truly saved, we are going to. And if we're not, Lord, then the opposite is true, Lord. If people are not holding you first and they are on the throne of their lives, Lord God, then they're not right in your eyes. God, please. Bring them to repentance, Lord. Please bring them to repentance and, sh- and just help them to turn. Now they know the right way. They've just heard it. God, please turn them to you before it's too late and they die in their sins and they go stand before you in judgment and you say, Be gone. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Please, God, help us wherever we may be. Help us to be right and to be exactly where you want us to be. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, I ask these things. Amen.